Hello and welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell. Sean Kay's here. He's going to get to lots of headlines later and ask AFP. Clay's here as well, our technical masterclass. He's even missing the Oscars for this, so it's a very important night for him. Uh, what are we going to get chat about today? Well, it's a long list. Liverpool versus Manchester United. Uh, Kepa, is it too late to say sorry? Boom. Um, Atlanta United and CONCACAF Champions League. We're going to get some messy in here. So Milan, Europa League, Club Puel, you're done. Um, Canadians choose Canada. Lots and lots of stuff to get to. But before we get into it, into today's matches, we have another announcement to make. Kyle Becker and Manny Aparicio are confirmed to join us this Thursday, February the 28th at the Rivoli for our live podcast taping. So far, we have Kyle and Manny. Also, Jonathan Azorio, Justin Morrow. Luke Wildman, our friend, is coming. Yes. He's, by the way, he shouldn't be written here as a Can we ask headliner. him questions for once? Yeah, we're definitely going to do that. And by Good. the way, Chef United won again on the weekend. Very impressive victory over West Brom. So, you know, he's just going to be coming. Very, very happy. Yeah. Looking to talk about That was a big win. We big just win. called out West Brom as one of our tips for championship. And they went there and won it. Yep. They were very good by all accounts. Um, Carmelina Moscato is going to be there as well. Great to speak to her. We're going to be talking about the big year for the women's team going towards the 2019 World Cup. So they're the big hitters, big hitters minus Wildman for Thursday night. Um, they will not be the only guests on the show. We'll also be announcing a handful more over the next few days or so. So head over to afootballpodcast.com and get your tickets before they are gone. Where do we start today, Mr. Colwell? Oh. We've got to start at Wembley. Yeah, I think uh, Manchester United and Liverpool fans, don't worry. And Manchester City fans will talk about your title race as well. We will get to the title race, um, but we have to start at the uh, at the at Wembley in terms of... The 119th of, minute, should we just let's start just there? Let's just start there, because I don't know about you, but I watched the entire game. It wasn't great. Um, Chelsea did actually uh, did really well. They did really well. Good tactics. The tactics were far superior, um, but maybe symbolic of what's going on right now with that club is it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter that they played well. It doesn't so really poor, Because in the end... Um, the actions on the side of the field as we click to the 118th, 119th minute, um, you think you've seen it all in this game. <laughs> and then we get a moment like that where I'm sure everyone listening is aware of it, but it was one of those like hide behind the sofa moments. Even if you're not a Chelsea fan, it was just squeamish. It was weird to watch. It was awkward. And I don't know in the end, I'm sure I'm, your opinion is pretty level-headed with most of the other players that have been vocal about this on social media. Yeah. Just zero tolerance for, for, for Kepa's behaviour, no? Yeah, one of the most bizarre moments I've ever seen in a football game, KJ, and to be in such a high-profile match, being the League Cup final, the Carabao Cup final, was just incredible to watch that happen. And I'm in agreement with you, as, as I pretty often am, and it was just really uncomfortable mm. and and cringy you know I just I wanted it to end even yeah. though the drama was was extremely exciting I just wanted it to end because I, I, I felt for Sari it was a horrible situation I don't know where to start um, a goalkeeper was down a couple of times Kepar as Blaga um, and it was hard to work out from watching the game what was the issue it seemed like he had a, a hamstring strain we've later found out we think it was cramp in mm. the hamstring uh, and there was no strain there. So I'm unsure why he kept going down and asking for treatment. He should have just been stretching it. If you've got cramp, you just stretch it, and there's nothing you can do about it until the cramp becomes so much, then you have to leave the field. And if that was the case, you've got to do the rightful thing for your team and get off the pitch. It was an important moment of the match. It was in his area. Hazard had just had that decent shot that he made a, a good save. He yep. should have saved it, but he, he did save it. And then he was down. And in fairness to Sari. I can see why he wanted the change. The time's ticking out. You were heading to penalty kicks. Caballero has a good record that's against his former team. There's many things 
you know, favouring towards putting Willie Caballero in the goal. And then there was a massive breakdown in communication between the medical staff and Sari. And, and that, to me, is the first thing that we should focus on, KJ. How did that happen at this level of the game? The, the, the professionalism of teams playing at this level with the earpieces and the communication and, and the way that they kind of know every last detail. I'm not certain how that happened in the first place. And, and Sari looked like a confused man. One minute he was asking for the opinion. There was all sorts going on. And then the inevitable happened when the board went up, Kepa refusing to come off. Just disgusting. Horrible from any player to do that. The shock of a goalkeeper being asked to come off when he felt it was okay was the reason we think that happened. Yep. But when your number goes up, KJ, you got to leave the field. It's embarrassing towards your team. It's embarrassing towards you as a professional. It's disrespectful towards your manager. You get off the field. You talk about it later. Your number's up. There's there's no going back from that moment. Once you see your number, well, it's the first minute or the 119th minute, you're off the field. The, the rules of the game are you leave the field and refusing to go and no Chelsea player going up to him saying get off was, was another thing that I thought was... You thought that was interesting, did you? Very interesting. Yeah, I saw a few other people tweet that. I think Lee Dixon tweeted that as well. He if said I'm, no, senior, no real senior, senior players showing sen some seniority and saying you've got to move off the field. I would here. have went right up to him and said, get off the field, your Would number's you? up, there's nothing you can do. Right. You might have been saying, I'm okay, I'm I'm fine, I can carry on. Don't care, your number's up. It's not your choice. A manager decides who plays in the park. And so when that board goes up, you're one minute away from penalty kicks. Could be a number of reasons. We, we saw uh, Louis Van Hal, sub a goalkeeper, Tim Crow came on, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. In the World Cup because he was good at penalty kicks. So it's yeah. not your decision to make whether you're injured or not. Right. And so <laughs> that for me was the disgusting part, but the lack of communication really concerns me between the medical staff and, and um, Mauricio Sarri. Let's get into all the layers of this then. First of all, the rules. The rules state, because um, I was uh, talking to a referee about this this afternoon, the rule in the book actually says under substitution procedure, if a player who is replaced refuses to leave, play continues. So it, right away, that is important <laughs> to note, by the way. And now are we starting off a dangerous slippery slope here? Because if a player doesn't want to come off, you can just say, no, I'm not coming off. And the referee can't make him come off. Now, I'll be honest, I wasn't completely sure of that. Because when I'm watching it, what actually happens was, as you mentioned, the number goes up, Kepa sees his number, and he refuses, says, no, no, no. Now, Kepa said after the game that he wasn't saying, I'm refusing the substitution. He was telling him that I'm absolutely fine. So this is clearly somebody who never would have imagined he'd ever be substituted in a game yeah. tactically ever in his life because he's a goalkeeper. I think that's important to note because the mindset of the individual is very different from the 10 outfield players. So lots of quotes from other players. And Vincent Company said after the game when he was asked, and as usual, Company was classy and said, no, I've never seen that before and I sometimes thought about doing that myself but I think it's interesting to note that the mindset of the goalkeeper when he sees his number come up he's, he believes he's being substituted strictly because of an injury which that is a fact yeah now, there's not there's a lot of other things that weren't factual after the, what was said by Sari oh, yeah. and Kepper I think and they were trying to change the story and make it less drama but I think it's important that we remember what we witnessed with our own eyes so the numbers go up then the number goes down. Then they can't make the substitution because then they're not sure what's going on. Zola's involved. Sari's having a meltdown on the bench at this point. Then Jonathan Moss runs over to him after speaking to Kepa and runs over to Jonathan Moss, the referee, runs over to the manager and I, and I thought was asking for clarity. And he definitely was asking him what's going on here. Yeah. And at that point, that was when the decision came down that he's staying on the field. And I thought at that point, if Sari says you're coming off, then Moss could have helped him come off. Yeah. Now that still could have happened. But in the laws of the game, Moss didn't really have any authority to do that. I think if, if he had told Moss, yes, I want him off, 
then I think he, Moss would have helped, but he doesn't have any authority. That's the difference here. Yeah. But at that point, I think this, Sari didn't think he's going to come off anyway. And he said, just leave him on. And that actually elevated his... Um, his mental health in in terms of his behavior into more of an irrational thought. Yeah. He's, he, he then lost his mind at that point because that then led to the anger, the, the tension on the feet on the, on the bench with the throwing down of the water bottle. At that point, he's completely out of, out of, uh, of his actions. I think. Yeah. Do you, at that point, yeah. I, I was, it was, it, it was, that was, I thought was very uncomfortable to watch because I thought he wasn't in control of his emotions. He clearly didn't get what he wanted. And in the end, it was almost, I think just, sacrificing the the substitution to highlight the problems with the club and didn't really care at that moment yeah. for the consequences of it, did you? Yeah, I did. I, I think that moment he admitted defeat and, and Kepa wasn't going to leave the field was was tragic and really horrible to watch. A, a guy that I respect a great deal and Mauricio Sarri and who's had just a tumultuous time uh, of late and when he walked over to the, the the bench, it was it was horrible to watch. He was furious. He almost ripped his tracksuit top off, didn't he? Yeah. And then he threw down the, the water bottle and his notebook or something like that. And and then he left the technical area and he started to walk up the tunnel. And I am screaming at the television, "Come back!" If if the doors closed and he went into that locker room, which I thought he was going to do, sit in the changing room and not even come back out for the game. There's no way that he can stay in his job. He's basically mm. left the team to their own devices at that moment. Of course, the actions were were suggesting that that was happening anyway, but he then gets a little bit rational again, the 10, 15 seconds of, of craziness. He comes back, he comes to side, and then he's walking about like a man who's lost his dog. He had no friends, he had nobody near him. He's He looked just so dejected and, and, and lost, and it was... I use the word tragic. It was it was horrible to watch. I didn't enjoy it, and um, I don't think I would have liked seeing that from anybody in the game. I I, I like Sari. I do. I yeah, have to too. say that, and, and there's something about him that I, you know, I want to see him uh, do well. So I'm trying to think, even if it was somebody that maybe I don't like, a manager that I, I don't have a great deal of respect for, I still would have hated to have seen that. That is just a horrible place to be and, and, and the loneliness of being a manager in the first instance uh, I've heard it from friends of mine in the game my brother says it all the time you stand on that side you feel the pressure of that crowd or that situation the enormity of being the only guy there and, and, and that situation is magnified about a hundred times yeah, there's nowhere to hide, is there? No. Nowhere to hide. And then it, unfortunately for them, it continued because then we've got the unique process of the game being full-time and then the 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 circumstances of preparing for a penalty shootout where yeah. you really need your manager to be stepping up. And at that point, we saw the camera, certainly on the, on the game I was watching, we saw the camera go over to him and... Um, when he came in the huddle. And before that, oh, when, when Rudiger had to stop him from going yeah. up to talking to him. And at that point, it looked like a, a really awkward scene at a Coronation Street or something where the manager's not talking to his goalkeeper and, you know, these guys are not going to get on. It's going to be a fight. You know what I mean? Like, it was really tense. It was horrible. It was very it? Hor horrible. Yeah. Aspilicueta moves Kepper over one side. Rudiger talks to the manager of the Rudiger other side. Rudiger was great. It was I very good. I thought it was very good in the game. To yeah, be it was. Um, um, both centre-backs were very good, I thought. But then the penalty shootout takes place after you you know 
as you mentioned, I think the next thing we should talk about was the huddle. And on one side, you've got Guardiola motivating his players, focusing on what's going to happen pick, with clarity, picking the players. And on the other side, you've got Sarri just hanging out and then kind of just begrudgingly walking over to give that final team talk yeah. right before, which seemed a bit forced at that point. Didn't really want it. No. And then even once the shootout had happened, I saw a different uh, camera when it was over where Sarri was surrounded by nobody, was near nobody. Manchester City celebrate and then Sarri walks off on his own. He would come back, but yeah. he, was, he, was, he was clearly an isolated man at that point. It was dysfunction in all areas that I think we've always wondered about Chelsea, but most of the time happens behind closed doors. But it was there clear for everybody to see. And, and I think that would be, if I'm a Chelsea fan, would be enormously concerning because those kind of things you can't hide away no matter what they said after the game. No, it was we speculate so much about what goes on on the training field and, and behind the scenes at Chelsea and we seem to think it's a, a changing room of, of complete dysfunction. <laughs> we, we saw it play out in front of our eyes for the first time, you know, it was it was happening there in front of us. It was factions within the team as Blaqueta went right to Kepa and you know Rudiger tries to stop his manager Sarri so you see the little factions and the little cliques within the team and then you just see a, a guy who's just lost everything he's you know a, a man with a great deal of experience maybe not quite at that level but he's been an experienced coach for a number of years in the Italian league and we just see him walking around on his own and when he came into that huddle it was four seconds was it a mm. couple of little bits and Guardiola's in the middle of his and he's motivating and the unity within Manchester City in complete contrast to what was happening with Chelsea was just magnifying it and, and making it even worse and um, I never like to see things like that I just I keep going back to it it was like a bit of a nightmare for me just to watch it as some people maybe like the drama of that and, and feed off it but it was I was very uncomfortable watching that and uh, I think that whether they won the penalty shootout or not, it was, you know, 50-50 as they always are, but the damage that was done by the, I don't know, what, six, seven, eight minutes, yeah. whatever it was from, from the moment Kepa said he wasn't going to come off till the penalties were finished, probably a little bit longer, was just, was tragic. And I don't know how Sarri survives this. Okay, well, you know, the, you've been a captain at Wembley in a game, in a big game like that. If that happens and you're the captain and you get back to the dressing room after you've lost and you've got your loser's medals, what are you doing? What's the first thing you're doing when you get in that room? Uh, uh, we're having an inquest right away. So you, you know, you're, you're because I'm not I'm sure. I'm calling Sarri's out my calling player. It. I'm calling, calling out player. my player. Right. Yeah, I'm calling out my player because I'm in charge of the players. I'm the captain, and so what happens between the coaches is is not really my responsibility. And I'm definitely not calling out my coach in front of everybody. Right. I am his go between between the players and and his coach and him and his coaching staff. So I'm going right for Kepa, and I'm asking why he didn't leave the field because, like I go back, like I said at the start of this conversation when your number comes up no matter what minute what you think of that how fit you think you feel or how well you think you are playing a decision has been made that you are to leave the field you walk off it's very um, hurtful or emotional in a cup final you're the goalkeeper you think you're heading to I don't care I don't care, KJ, if you're Lionel Messi, whoever you are, you've scored a hat-trick, don't care whatever scenario it is. Once your number goes up, you get off the field. So I'm going right in. Um, I'm calling out my goalkeeper. I wouldn't have let it get to the changing room, I have to say. I would have been right over to him during the game saying, get off the field. Yeah. Your number's up, get off the field. 
And, you know, I didn't really see anybody do that. I, I don't know if there was maybe some shock there from the players. It's all I can think about. And maybe they're just worrying about their own tired legs, tired minds, uh, and heading towards a penalty shootout when you do get a little bit selfish at that moment in the game because you just want to do your job. You're thinking you might take a penalty. You want to kind of focus on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only excuse I can make for a David Luiz or a Cesar Azpilicueta or an Eden Hazard for not going over to Kepa and say, please get off the field, leave the field, your number's up. Now, you would you have done that? And I think I know the answer, but I think it needs to be asked. Would you have done that even if, and, and I know you've had managers this way, even if you thought the manager was wrong and you didn't respect him? Yes, right, 100%. But do you think that that may have been one of the reasons why Chelsea didn't do that? Because, listen, you know, the, the environment people live in no matter what life, is the environment they learn to live in and respect and basically take advantage of. And Pepper, you know, has been, Kepper has been there, you know, six months. But what have we said about Chelsea for years? Yeah. We've said that this this is the environment that we've that we've watched as outsiders as jurors for many times that we know that we we we've, we've come down on the verdict many times about this. The culture of the club is broken. Yeah. Without question. Now they can fire managers and bring in a different manager. The most of the same players and the same personalities are still there. And Jose Mourinho couldn't get them going. Roberto Di Matteo, Andre Villas-Boas, Mourinho twice in the end was f- f- fell on his sword. Scolari, Conte, Conte, Carlo Ancelotti, Mauricio Sarri. So, <laughs> I think you know what I mean? We go the, the on best of the best. and on and yeah. on. Okay. So now you've got what I would have said, if you'd have lined up 11 players on that board and, and, and you said, okay, who are the main main guys at this club? Kepa would have been one of the lowest ones in yeah. terms of general... 24 years old. Yeah, exactly. Young goalkeeper Here having a tough time. Already, already showing publicly a lack of respect. And he can say whatever he wants after the game. It was a confusion. Rubbish. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're showing a lack of respect for the leader of the club, aren't you? By not doing it. Yeah, you are. And so that, for me, says a lot more about the club. Sarri could be sacked tomorrow. Oh, you know, maybe people listen to it. That might happen, but the problem doesn't go away. No, the problem doesn't go away with that club, and they they, they need to figure it out because they could be brilliant, they could be amazing, but they're the, one of the most boom and bust clubs in world football, and they're a roller coaster. And sometimes it's great, but a lot of times lately they've been on the ground. Yeah, they have been, and and it's because uh, player power, isn't it? It's, it doesn't happen quite as as. Um, publicly as it does anywhere else in the world that the players seem to be in control of the situation and and I, I'm not in the inside case yet I can't answer that I can only speculate but I do feel that what I've seen throughout the years and no Roman Abramovich takes a bit of a back seat these days but he's still clearly in charge of the club he always gave the players a lot of power we'd see in great pros but I'm saying a Frank Lampard a John Terry on his yacht spending a week in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. He likes to hang out with the players. He's a guy that likes to have a relationship with the players. And I don't know if that maybe plays into the fact that these players then think they have more power than they do. But when you've got a manager, whether you like him or you love him or um, you're indifferent, you have to respect him. And you have to respect the fact that he is in charge of the group. And that is because... You're an employee of that football club. You get pay- paid enormous amounts of money to wear the badge of Chelsea Football Club. So there's a code of conduct, there should be, but certainly your own personal code of conduct in your brain, how you conduct yourself, how you act, and the type of person and player you are. And so in that regard, they guys are letting the club down. 
they're letting themselves down. And I'm not just including Kepa because it's more than Kepa. This mm-hmm. could have been anybody. There's been stories we, we saw them perform at uh, the Emirates horribly, absolutely terrible in so many areas. They're letting their manager down, but they're letting themselves down. They're letting their club down. And if Chelsea want to get back to something, they're always going to win things and they'll have a reaction from a new manager and they'll be successful. But if they want to create sustained success, they need to have a deep dive into this. They need to change structure. I don't care if it happens from the boardroom level all the way down, but something needs to be done here and there needs to be a change in the recruitment and there needs to be a change in the philosophy of how you act and how you uh, conduct yourself when you're a Chelsea football club player. Before we get to um, Liverpool and Manchester United, um, finally, quick word on City. They did win the trophy. We didn't talk about that, really. But in the end... They weren't great, though, were they? They weren't great, no. were they? Um, uh, quick observations about them. Overall, I would say this. We're going to get onto injuries in a second. But um, very interesting that Laporte and Fernandinho, two are arguably of their yeah. very important players, both left injured. And Guardiola was quick to say that that could impact their, their pursuit of the quadruple after the game because... Obviously, they're going to be missing some matches now and they're very important players, almost irreplaceable players at that football club, the way they've been playing at the moment. That's going to be difficult. That was an observation for me. Um, I thought Bernardo Silva was tremendous again. Brilliant. Again, arguably yep. the best player again, yep. by the way, um, on a day when David Silva hasn't had a very good few weeks and De Bruyne is nowhere near the level. What a player he's become. And the Raheem Sterling penalty was magnificent. Yeah. To see him step up as an Eng- a young English kid at Wembley in his own city to go and put in a penalty like that. Um, we'll get lost in everything we've discussed, but those are the quick three observations I wanted to bring up. Yeah, they're going to miss Laporte and Fernandinho. They're, they're irreplaceable, KJ. They don't have anybody that does the job that the two guys do uh, within the team. Hopefully it's not too long for their sake. They're in every competition, of course. They've, they've ticked one off. They're pretty much right in the mix. I'd mm. say they're, they're, they're clear favourites for the FA Cup. Mm-hmm. They're one of the favourites for... Uh, for um, the the Champions League and they're in a two-horse race for the Premier League. So they're they're more than capable, but injuries are are going to be the thing that really could derail them. And and they two are are critically important. Sterling, I was delighted that he put the penalty away. I thought it was a little bit of a... a little bit of an anxious performance from uh, Manchester City. Frustrated by Chelsea. Tactics were were really spot on. Nice and deep. Lots of bodies in the central areas. Difficult to play through and then broken them really quickly and probably had the better chances of the game. But it doesn't matter how you get through a cup final. And this being the first one was very important. They've went there. They've did it. They've won it. They still had the lion's share of possession. They still were the team oh, trying to win position. the game. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. in that regard, I'm 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 good with them winning it, KJ. They were the, they were the only team that really went out there and tried to win it. And I'm, uh, 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 they showed a different side to their game. They showed that toughness and resilience. We know they've got it, but it's sometimes nice to see them win like that as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I agree. For, from one title contender uh, getting frustrated in a nil-nil to another at Old Trafford, Manchester United versus Liverpool ended nil-nil as well. Um interesting that this was a bizarre match in terms of how many substitutions oh. were play, taking place at half time. Manchester United for the first time in Premier League history had to make three substitutions um, all because of, uh, all before the end of the first half. Um, but I blame that basically on Alexis Sanchez being rubbish. I don't know about you because if <laughs> it's he, a bad day for him, if he was it? good, then he would have come on at the second time. But instead, instead, Ollie's looking down his bench and going, 
Uh, Lingard, you're half fit. Go on then. Go, go, please go on. Try it. And then he comes off and then he has to put Sanchez on. Like he was basically like an afterthought. Yeah. Fred, the other one who's just coming recently, he might oh. as well be Fred the Red, the mascot because he ain't playing again. <laughs> Maybe is he? he is the mascot. I've not seen <laughs> he, him for that He ain't long. playing again, is he? I mean, basically at midfield, the midfielder comes off, Matic isn't playing, and then you put him Pereira on. So Fred yeah. spent 50, 50 odd million quid on him. I love these games because it tells you the manager's never going to say anything about this, but it tells you everything what they think of the player. Yeah. You know what I mean? So those were some interesting topics. But all in all, a bad day, I think, for Liverpool. Um, I certainly saw it as two points lost, not one point gained. What about you? I thought it was a really nervy, disjointed, um, anxious performance mm. by Liverpool and epitomised by their manager, it has to be said, in the side, being mm. very complimentary of Jurgen Klopp this season. But... In the last few weeks, I'm starting to see a man unravel a little bit. He looked deranged at times, the way he was, you know, screaming at different players and doesn't matter how high profile they were, he was he was going for all of them, wasn't he? he was. I didn't see a team with, with a lot of control. Again, they had possession for obvious reasons. Manchester United were dropping off, difficult to beat, and after the injuries they were playing with ten men because Rashford was nowhere near fit. Nine. Sanchez. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, uh, it, they were going to have the ball, but how many times did they play long balls? Yeah. I've never seen them play so Incredibly many long direct. balls. Incredibly direct. Incredibly direct, missing out that extra pass that we normally see mm -hmm. from them to secure the possession and to methodically work it from one area of the field to the other, left to right, right to left, front to back. It was almost a desperation let's just get it forward and hope that it falls at somebody's feet or hope that one of our, our big guys does something great puts it in the back of the net anxiety mm. all round from the way that they were playing and there was periods in that match where composure and confidence would have scored them a goal or two they were, man you were extremely vulnerable uh, the sort of second part of the first half when the injuries were happening and, and guys were basically playing on one leg for at least 10 minutes Lingard played at least 10 minutes on one leg mm -hmm. and, and Rashford played 85 minutes on one leg. Yeah, and painkillers too. He had to take painkillers. Right, yeah. so, you know, two guys are unfit. You bring in, you got Scott McTominay, no disrespect, had a decent game, the lad, but mm -hmm. playing in central midfield against one of the best midfields in Lukaku Europe. Lukaku just, like, trying to find air on the wing. He, in fairness to him, he put in a shift, but, I oh. mean, Romelu Lukaku's playing on your right wing, yeah. running back and tracking Only back. Only because Rashford was hurt, by the exactly. way. Exactly, so why he, he couldn't there. do it. So Lukaku, I, I thought, respect him. He tried his absolute best. He, you know, he was struggling on that right-hand side, but he was trying to get back and forward. But Liverpool had chances to turn the screw and go, okay, extra pass, bit of quality from someone, and the anxiety was just forcing them to play it forward. Uh, poor substitution from Jurgen Klopp. That was my next question for right, you. Right, okay. All right, let's go away. Um, by the way, you're right. But Liverpool looked like it was a heavyweight title clash. Liverpool went in and against Man United. Man United looked like they broke their hand in the first round and stood on the ropes <laughs> with the gloves in front of their face and said, come on, what can you do? Yeah. And Liverpool couldn't get near no. him. They couldn't touch him. And so... Um, um, the, the substitutions, let's get to this because I wanted to get to this. Um, Fabinho's injured, 30 minutes on, he gets taken off for storage. Uh, Shakiri comes on for Henderson and Origi for Mo Salah. My question to you was, did you agree with any of them? Because I didn't. Uh, did not agree with the first one at all. I, th I thought storage. Shakiri. Yes, Shakiri. Shakiri first, Salah up front. Would you have 4 done that? 4 2 3 1. 
I called it before the game to, to the kids. I was we were chatting about the tactics of the game. It's yeah, a boring league. Take them through every single game to but test. You're not them. boring them. You, you're bringing you you're encouraging yeah. intelligent minds. So I was asking them where the where the Manchester United win the game. You know, and we felt it was maybe down the side of Milner and uh, mm. and Matip if Rashford could find the angles. And in fairness, he tried to play him in the left. He was injured. And I said, where the Liverpool win the game? And the guys were like, well, front three. I said, no, but more than that, I thought 4-2-3-1 was the way that they could win the game. And I right. thought they would have went from that from the start. I thought that they would have played uh, Salah through the middle and Firmino just off him like they've been doing. And and then when Aldum, you know, edging towards that side, uh, but they didn't. And then when they were forced into the, the change, they could easily have went for that. Luke Shaw had a wonderful game. You did. And he had Salah in his pocket. Why didn't he change that at any moment to mm. let Salah have a little shot through the middle? Mm. Something different, bit of pace, threatening behind. And we did it for like five minutes. He went 4 yeah. 4 2 after he took Henderson off. Yeah, but it was. But it wasn't. I saw that and yeah. I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's see how this goes. But it was a 4 4 2, but it was almost like a 4 5 1 because he still kept drifting to that right hand side. Salah gave the ball away too much. He too. was. He was awful. He didn't play well, but. I thought they were going to put him through the middle. So the first one for me in storage was was not good at all. He no. didn't have any impact in the game. Um, it was was Shakiri was sitting there and it was crying out for a player of his quality to find a nice little pocket in behind the midfield in front of the back line where he could work his magic and do something special. And it, it never really came. And Origi had little impact. Mm. I, I thought Henderson had a good game. I don't mm. know what you thought. I did too. I thought it was really good. Fabinho and Henderson were excellent. And when he took Henderson off, I was disappointed for the lad. I thought that he was playing really well and uh, he took him off in 60th minutes and there was a little bit there. Didn't and then, like it, did he? No, and then Klopp had a little go back. Yeah. And I sh- again, it shows the, the anxiety between them or, or the, the feeling, the pressure that they're feeling. Another little example of that, KJ and Liverpool were were nowhere near the identity we expect from them to they, be. They had nobody to supply a final ball. That's the problem. Yeah, And, you know, Henderson doesn't bring that. That's, no. that's the issue they've got and Fabinho doesn't bring that even though I think he brings a lot yeah. I thought he was excellent he was great um, for me as I said I don't know whether they, they I think they gave they showed United too much respect certainly in the second half United offered very very little going forward yeah. and what I wanted to do if I was there I, what I wanted them to do is I would have played Fabinho where Matip was and I would have taken Matip off right That's to what, step forward because yeah. Matip did it a yeah, couple of times did. but it's not his game in is the it? end he wasn't he wasn't needed on the field yeah you're right because they had nothing they were basically Marcus Rashford on one leg playing up front and, and Van Dijk and Matip defending him yeah. together so I would have put Fabinho there and he could have still played at the base of midfield because he had possession from 70% yeah. of the time in the second half that's what I would have done and then I would have let somebody else come on and play in that in that midfield role um you know who else i thought they could have done with trent alexander arnold maybe not just necessarily where milner was i thought it was okay i think he could play midfield yeah i think he can play that pass i think he's that good i really do and and people said oh they trusted milner because he's in a bigger game trent alexander arnold playing the champions league final yeah the guy can play in a big big games so uh, they've, they've got to find a way now that game's done They've got to find a way now to be able to unlock teams who are going to get deeper and deeper like United like, yeah. like United did because otherwise the title race is going to be over. City would have won that game. Yeah, they would have. They would have won the game. I think they would have won it comfortably. I do too. And now they're one point up with 11 to play and I thought, okay, a draw normally at United on that, in that situation where they don't have to play any other big games. City's still got to go to United. You're one point ahead of them with 11 to play. Um, that sounds good if you didn't watch the game. 
but when you watch the game, I think the one point doesn't sound as good as it did if you didn't, if you, yeah. if you know what I mean. Because yeah. when you watch the game, it was there for the taking. And when you look back, if they don't win the league, they're not going to go back and go, that, that it wasn't was, that game, it, yeah. They won't you know say I mean? it was that game, yeah. but it probably it was. Be, you know, yeah. that, it wasn't a point that they needed. It was two, it was three. And, yeah. I, and I feel like they've got to find somebody who can unlock defenses who are getting deeper. I wrote, I did, I did a tweet, five out of the last seven games now, one goal or less. Right. Five out of the last seven. Yeah. 54 points out of the first 60 games. They lost six points in the first 20 matches. They've lost nine out of the last seven. It is a fact. They are not firing on all cylinders and they've got to figure it out. No time for nerves, guys. It's February. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is, you, you think it, you want to be anxious. You don't be talking about anxious. It'll be in April. Kevin Keegan can have a meltdown in April. Yeah. He's not having meltdowns in February. <laughs> yeah. You can figure it out, guys. Do you know what I mean? It's, there's yeah. a long way to go, mate. There is a long way to go and there's, there's a lot of twists and turns to come, but you, you look at a team that, that sort of went into that game right from the start saying we'll take a point and when you're when you win when you're champions you don't go into any, any game like that you go in thinking mm. we're going to compete we're going to win I thought they went in there right from the start thinking we'll take a point and in the end it, it sort of clouded their judgement in, in analysing the game as players on the field and going this game's here for the taking you know they, were, they, they had the mindset point 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 and they'll look back at that game. Many of them will watch it again. Of course, they'll analyse it as a group and they'll go through it and they'll go, there was little periods there that if we had showed composure and a bit more quality, we'd have cut them open. We'd have scored two or three goals and Liverpool in August, September, October, November, December would have scored two or yes. three goals, KJ. And that's the alarming thing for me. If I'm a, a Liverpool fan or I'm Jurgen Klopp tonight, the alarming thing is we're not, making great decisions because we're just starting to feel the pinch a little bit. Mm. We're starting to feel the pressure and he's going to have to come up with some things during the week, some tactical things, but more some mental things to just relax that group and get them playing something like we know they're capable of. Yeah, I, I love the word you use, relax. I, I do want to get to Solskjaer very quickly and then we'll move on, but I do think that they may have a bit of a profile player, a problem with the players because, the, you know, you look at some of the players and, you know, I think Roberto Firmino brings that quality that 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 he's cerebral and he sees things a lot quicker and he's composed and he brings control. Um, Sadio Mane doesn't do that. No, the the guy plays like a hundred mile an hour. You know what I mean? And it's great. Sometimes it pays off and sometimes it can be frustrating. He's not got the eye for the pass. And some of the midfielders, they work, 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 but they're not. That when they when it comes down to it, they're not putting a ball like Bernardo Silva can play a ball. Yeah, you know what I mean. They don't have that kind of player, so that would be worrying. United, uh, I saw a clip from Gary Neville on Sky Sports afterwards who said that he'd not seen an atmosphere like that for years. The fans clearly got behind the club when they needed to yeah. be. He took it on that the club, that the fans got behind Solskjaer and he said that it's a clear now example that, he, that he's going to get the job. Mm-hmm. And he said that um, there would be a mutiny if he didn't get it. I didn't take that for me. That's not how, what I saw. I, if I'm running Manchester United and I watch that game, I would be very frustrated that I couldn't analyse him. Mm-hmm. You can't really analyse no. it. You could because he of, doesn't do anything. Because what did he? What he, did? he sits in his seat the entire time. He doesn't do anything. Really? Well, I meant by the injuries. I meant that it kind of. It, oh, it, sorry. It kind of, it kind of, I think by the, we'll get to your point. But I think the injuries robbed us of saying, okay, how can we really evaluate? I could criticise him on his Lingard substitution, but that's a shocking if, substitution. But who else is he going to put on? Sanchez has been. He's got terrible. seven subs here. I, I don't care. He, you know, he's, he shouldn't he's, have put him. It's Manchester United, right. and and. 
as bad as Fred has been, he's 50 million and he's had him for three months. Yeah. So he should have been building up his confidence like we've gave him credit for with Pogba and right. Rashford. Who was and, very good Pogba. Yeah, and everyone else. So, you know, that's a big issue because you're putting on a lad that's not even fit mm. and you've already had to make, you know, you know there's another substitution coming. So it was just... It wasn't smart to no. do that, you know. So, um, so your point being, you don't, you, you. I mean, they were very negative, weren't they? They were very deep, even with eleven players with no injuries. They, if that was Mourinho's team, he'd get slaughtered. Yeah, it would have got slaughtered. And there's, there's something really smart being done by Solskjaer right now. He's saying all the right things, but I don't think he's doing all the right things. And I think his status as a legend of the club is allowing him that that leeway everyone's just sort of looking at him through you know rose tinted spectacles as we used to say and thinking this guy's a man look what all he's brought back to club Manchester United should be winning and we should win every game we should be winning trophies it's smart he's saying the right things but we're not seeing any signs of that we're seeing a team just as negative as Jose Mourinho maybe a bit more confidence as they move forward and they, they, they break and he's allowing people more freedom like Pogba and Rashford to run in behind but they're still coming back and getting a living behind the ball. Mm. And when we called it yesterday on TSN, we knew that they were going to do that. We, we yeah. talked about that. We said that's how they'll play. And so... Well, to be fair, we did. Dunfield yeah, said Dunfield the said they were going to attack and go yeah. at them. And Terry's made a little bit of an argument about that. Yeah. So, uh, no, but I would I would not give the, the job to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I don't think he's the right man for it. And, and I think he's been brilliant. And I think he's reminded everyone what it takes to play for Manchester United but I don't think he has enough tactically to, to take that team forward that team needs a lot it needs good recruitment it needs better tactics miles away, aren't they? they're miles away there's there's very few of them that are actually ready to go and compete to win a league with, with the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool and the way they are so um, I don't think he's a man KJ I see him sitting aside I don't see him get up and even make big decisions at right times. These substitutions were, were absolutely awful today. We played a clip yesterday and I asked for the clip. Um, I hosted TSN yesterday with you and Terry. We played a clip from Jurgen Klopp who said that um, without doubt that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be the manager next year. He wants him year. to get it. <laughs> you, just, you just read my mind. Sorry. Uh, it's the first person that's really publicly said without doubt yeah. that he's going to get the job. Um, if you're a Man United fan and the Liverpool manager's coming out and giving you a ringing endorsement that that should be your manager next year, I'd be very concerned because he isn't threatened by you. Yeah, He's not threatened he's by not. you. And if you're a Liverpool fan right now, I'd still think you should want Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to be a manager. Take nothing away from him. He's done no. a wonderful job and he's got the best out of the players. Um, but there is a different level to come. And if you don't remember how good it was, then that's your fault because United were a lot, lot better than this yeah. and they need to still be a lot, lot better than they are. Um, before we get to Shawnee, we did a game on TSN yesterday. Uh, we did lots of games. Tottenham, I'm sure we'll get to Pochettino shortly, but we did do Newcastle against Huddersfield in the end, a commanding victory yeah. for the Geordies. Um, but Miguel Almiron, um, he's been a little bit of our special player right yes. now. I was watching almost every minute of him on TSN, the uh, MLS player. He had a, a fantastic debut, almost scored after 12 minutes with the lob of the goalkeeper. Uh, and in the end, it was just an outstanding, impressive display, wasn't it? Yeah, the most that I've enjoyed Newcastle, uh, watching Newcastle play for a long time, KJ, they were terrific. They were a bit tentative in the first 10 minutes, but they were really spurred on and, and energised by the Paraguayan international Miguel Almiron. What a terrific home debut, uh, full debut to make. Just 
everywhere. The energy that he bought, brought to the team, he revitalised a whole front line. Rondon looked better and quicker, and uh, Iose Perez was good. was vibrant, got a great goal. Good Two partnership, goal. the three of them, yeah. Great partnership. Yeah. A lot to like about them, and Newcastle team that were very, very confident on the, uh, on the day. Sean Longstaff, mm. a little mention about him, young guy that's came through their academy, and a Geordie lad and there's nothing that Geordies love more than a local lad playing in the black and white and he was absolutely terrific you compared him to watching the game with me Michael Carrick one of my favourites he's yeah. got a lot of Michael Carrick about him I think that he's very composed makes good decisions reads the play really well knows his limits as a player and uh, no disrespect it's very important to know your limits know what you're good at and this guy's pretty good at everything he can he can play at the base of that midfield we saw him in a wide area put a brilliant ball in for Rondon he's got more to his game than just kind of breaking it up and playing it simple I think he could be a real star for the future yeah and if you think we're really invested in what Almiron does uh, we are we are we love him <laughs> we love him and there's a reason for that because we've covered him to be quite to be quite frank Stevens had a few people mention to him um, in fact you've done some stories I think this week I did, in, yeah. in the media I had a few people reach out to me um, to ask my opinion on him over there as well and we gave ringing endorsements and that let's be honest the people on the other side of the ones i was speaking to some journalists in england um were skeptical to say the least yeah but you've done some pieces this week singing his praises and to see Almiron near the end of the game being given a standing ovation by a magnificent fan base who yeah. know their footballers um we all smiled when we watched that they're going to love him in the kg yeah. because he's he, he's he works hard and he's exciting and, th and that's what they fans love they want you to love the club and and give your absolute best for that shot and then you know be flamboyant when you can and it, it was exactly that he needs to keep continuing he's in the hardest league in the world I'll tell you why because he's a little bit of a, a surprise just now people don't really know what he's capable of in terms of the opposition the other players well Tommy Smith was surprised well he's he surprised tried to, break, he tried his to break his leg it was a horrible tackle yeah. uh, but they, they'll, they'll get to know him quickly KJ and teams will come up with a plan to stop him so his game will have to evolve he'll have to get even better and keep working hard but I'm excited to watch that happen because I think he's the real deal yeah likewise um, I got a message before I did this, this uh, show today from one of our friends uh, a producer and friend of the show Owen said good luck keeping your podcast below three hours tonight you got a lot of things to talk about <laughs> I'm going to pass this over to Shawnee and I think from your rundown we're only about 10 minutes over is that that's pretty good. good isn't it yeah we're, we're holding together pretty good right we're now less than 45 minutes it's not even half time yet. I know Clay just pointed at me and was like headlines well, 15 Clay minutes. wants to get to the Oscars <laughs> let's speed this up it's here like headlines is 15 <laughs> minutes and I'm looking at the headlines right now and I'm like there's no way this is going to be 15 minutes uh, we'll try and be quick well, but hell of a weekend people why, love, why, people why love is it quick Shawnee's headlines so. yeah. yeah let's get to it so let's get to it uh Lester sack Claude Puel after a 4-1 loss to Crystal Palace thoughts on Puel and uh is Brendan Rodgers next to replace him okay um Thoughts on Puel. In the end, he lost seven out of nine. I think um, eight out of the last 13. I've got some notes here. Some of the teams he's lost to, by the way, up recently. Palace twice, Cardiff, Southampton, Wolves. Some of the teams to be <laughs> Chelsea, Man City. Just so polarizing, yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Um, but in the end, it, the... The tragedy, I think, that happened at the football club earlier this season extended what was already um, what seemed like a very awkward marriage. And in the end, it, it, this surprised nobody. I watched this game in the second half and Palace just did everything you'd expect to them, counter-attack them with pace and Leicester just fell apart. It wasn't a 4-1 game, I felt for him a little bit, but I think if it was a 2-1 game, he would have been fired. Yeah, he, he would have been fired, but you're right, KJ, I watched it as well and, and they just got cut apart in the second half and... 
it's uh, a bad combination when it seems like your, your players don't really like you and your fans are against you as well. So it was it was inevitable. Uh, I was absolutely certain that he had about 48 hours before he was going to lose his job after this game. And um, what can we say? I mean, he's a guy that never lasts very long. He's, he's polarising. Players don't really like him. And uh, it's part of the, the intricacies of managing in modern day football. You've got to get the players behind you. You've got to come up with a style and a way of playing and a personality that's going to bring out the best in people. And I don't think he was doing that. And the kind of results are are not anywhere near good enough for a team with the quality that it has. There's, there's there's so many good players within that squad that somebody's going to get a nice little team here. Yeah, before we get to the question about Brendan Rodgers, you mentioned about the players. <clears throat> it's clear that it, there was a lot of friction going on. The yeah. Vardy isolated. Yeah. And um, I wanted to share this with you. Uh, former Leicester City defender Robert Huth told Radio Leicester this quote, we had managers before who were really energetic, positive vibes. When he came in, and this is Puel, he came in and was pretty much the opposite. Yeah. Um, it was almost like he was working against the players. Those are the words of Hoot. Um, he said, if things don't go well, you need someone to point it out. And to be brutally honest, it's been creeping in. They've been a bit slow. When that happens, you need someone to grab you by the scruff of the neck. Quite frankly, I don't think he was the guy to do that. So that's basically speaks, speaks to yeah. your point. Um, um, I don't know whether he'd be back in the Premier League, but it looks like he wasn't necessarily somebody who was the right man to reinvigorate. What's be, let's be honest, a great team right now to great be manager, uh, which brings up second point of, of Shawnee's headlines. Brendan Rodgers, do you think it's a good fit for him? Well, he clearly wants a top six job. And I don't know if he's going to get it, KJ. Mm. So if he's not going to get a top six job... This and, is the perfect spring, spring oh, We could have a, a big debate here. We'll get into it another time because we're a little bit over. But I think he might have half a chance at Chelsea. Mm. or Spurs right? you do but let's, now straight yeah, from Celtic yeah you do I do I don't okay so let's say he doesn't and he's not getting top six yeah. this is the best job because he's not getting Everton he was Liverpool manager perfect example so this is a job he's getting uh, he, this is the best job he can get because he's got the players there and he's going to have some money to go and challenge that top six and, and to potentially have them over overperforming mm. like they did in, in their wonderful championship winning season, overperforming and maybe chat on the door of, of, of Europe or, or Champions League football again. Yeah, if I was Rodgers, I'd take the job. I think it'd be great for him. Um, finish off at Celtic for the year, get that done. There's nothing left for him to accomplish there. The treble, uh, treble he's going for, isn't it? Go for it. Good, it yeah. and, and I've got a lot of time for him, but I do think that there's some people who were a bit concerned about how it ended at Liverpool, particularly how he became a, he became a bit of a distraction about how that didn't necessarily go down well in terms of handling a big club yeah. that I think might have some reservations from the likes of Chelsea and Spurs, the teams that you mentioned. But if he was to go to Leicester and he doesn't even need to win anything, if he was to go to Leicester within, and within two years, turn this team around, get them to, to consistently yeah. challenge for the top six, get to the likes of 56, 58, 60 points every single year for a couple of, couple of seasons and really show his managerial qualities again in the Premier League, then yes, I think the top four is, the, is his destination. But I think he needs that bridge first. Mauricio Pasatino lost his cool on Mike Dean after the loss at Turf Moor. Uh, what do you think sparked such emotion from the usually calm and composed manager? Yeah, we were doing this game live and it happened really fast. I was I was very surprised. Um, I mean, you know, I'll first say I, I get uncomfortable watching that kind of stuff a little bit. And I think more and more people are getting that way. Um you know, I I'd certainly get uncomfortable watching players do that like midweek, trying to get around the referee's face in the Man City Champions League game when he's trying to put a decision together on VAR. 
Um, his interview afterwards was almost as as, as in- interesting because he went out of his way to not talk about yeah. it. And that was almost like he was doing a job interview with other big clubs watching him. Um, it was clear that he wasn't happy with what went, what went on with the goal and the build-up to it. Um, and it, sent, it seemed like Mike Dean was instigating more and more tension there. It wasn't necessarily, yeah. you know, um, allowing the situation to, 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 to diffuse itself, but that would be what we'd expect I guess, yeah. from, from Mike Dean. Yeah, Mike Dean has a history of of winding people up instead of coming and diffusing the situation. I, I think this happened because of some history between the two. I think, I don't know, you, you're the stat guy, KJ. At some point, maybe we can look back and we'll find a game where something happened between these two. But I think it was more than just isolated to Turf Moor on Saturday. I, I do think when we see a guy normally as calm and composed as Pochettino, loses cool at that. I, I think there's something there between the two of them. I, I think that something's probably happened in the past. And of course, the pressure's getting to everybody. And this was a game that he called out himself saying, we need three points if we're going to continue as, as, as title challengers. And they didn't get it. They didn't get any points. So he was feeling the pressure. But right away, he was, uh, he was you know, obviously when he did his interview, he was right on to take it away from the, the, the controversy of Mike Dean and... Uh, in uh, in the situation at, at Burnley and talking about his team and and what they did or didn't do within that match. Yeah, and in the end, it's it's cost him, it? Yeah, he said before the game, didn't he? We have to win this match yeah. to stay in the in the in the Premier League. Johnny, your team's done, I think. Here, you, but you'd know that anyway. You're pessimistic about Spurs. <laughs> I wasn't. What, when the season started, it was over. <laughs> See, I'm oh. okay over it. <laughs> like like high on coffee at midnight. Coldwell was given the Premier League title last week. Well, <laughs> if they had won at Turf Moor, come on. Tell me what the difference would be. Two. Two points and three, three points. Three points now, yeah. Right. Yeah, but they've still got to go to... I know, but that's an advantage for a team like Tottenham. Potentially. Right. To be fair, it was the only game this season in the Premier League away from home where they've not led. Right. And they are a team that normally play better against good sides, you know? Yes. I'm not saying that they're going to go and win at both their places, but I'm saying that they they like the opportunity to go and play against teams that, that have good football, you know, that allow them to play, that are, you know, not sitting back and, and defending against them. So, you know, if they went and won there, they were right in the hunt, in my opinion. And I think they played that way in the second half, didn't yeah. they? They just went for it, didn't they? It was, yeah. like, it was like basically like what like Championship Manager or PlayStation 4, just throwing all your, but, uh, throwing yeah. all your strikers and just but There was no control to it, eh? You no. know, there was, there was Kane <laughs> floating around, almost like a midfielder, yeah. your ente. Uh, you know, he, he served his purpose when Harry Kane was injured, but I wouldn't be bringing them on unless it was the last 10 minutes and I was literally throwing it in the box to him. And right. and that didn't really work. And then Lamella was, it was just really, you know, you're asking Ericsson to play at the base of midfield and that's how you lost your goal yeah, because he couldn't make goal. the tackle. So, um, unfortunately, I, I love Spurs and I love watching them play. And Pochettino, I think, is becoming my favourite manager in the world. But, um they're just short and they proved it at Turf Moor on Saturday. Win the Champions League, Johnny, instead. There you go. Long live the Andralables. <laughs> that is this year. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. You know what's going to happen you know, all season long without not drawing until the last game of the season they're going to draw. 100%. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, Christoph Piantek uh, has 26 goals and 27 appearances this season. Uh, what do you believe is ceiling? And uh, do you think he's the one that can bring glory back to uh, AC Milan? This guy's unbelievable, by the way. Seven and six for Milan now. But it's not just like his goals. Yeah. It's not his stats. It's the the goals he scores. It's like a highlight reel every week. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a Milan fan. I'm not, I, you know, I just love to see good football, but I love it. I love that they're relevant again. Yeah. I love that they've got that guy who's just, 
he's just smashing in goals like Shevchenko, this guy. Yeah. Every single week. It's tremendous to watch. And, you know, again, on the weekend, I think only Messi's got more goals this year in, in the top five leagues uh, than, than him. Obviously, he just moved over to Milan in, the, in, in January. But boy, oh boy, what a play they found here. Yeah, absolutely prolific. And they, uh, they need a superstar, don't they, KG? They do, we, right. we want Serie A to have a top AC Milan, top Inter Milan as well to, to compete with Juventus yes. and, and get more competition within that league and there's some signs of it coming back and and this guy looks like he's on the verge, if he's not there already, of becoming a superstar and a real guy that can handle the the sort of um, the responsibility of wearing that magnificent red and black shirt, so uh, exciting to watch. They've got a few good players within there as mm-hmm. well, and and some younger bodies. So I'm I'm hoping that Milan can get back to the glory days. Messi scored his fiftieth uh, hat trick uh, this weekend. Oh hum. Uh, he currently sits at uh, 585 goals uh, as per transfer market. Um, I don't have a question here, but let's just spend a couple minutes and just let's talk about Messi. What about that game? Did you see the highlights? I watched. I watched no, most of it last I night. It. Oh my goodness me! What a tremendous match! Now you talk about like overall quality of, yeah. le- of leagues like the Manchester United Liverpool game I know it had some bad substitute bad injuries and all that the quality compared to Sevilla Barcelona is not on the same planet mate. Yeah. La Liga is a different level when you, when you play a real high quality game like that and Messi's goals were unbelievable his volley to score the first goal was fantastic right foot top corner for the second one and then just of course the lob over the goalie for the third <laughs> I mean, this guy. I mean, you just run out of things to say about him, but it's just it's just a joy to watch. It, you know, I just hope people understand how good he is. You know, I just hope people understand that they're we're watching. You know, Michael Jordan. You know, you name it, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. You, if you, you know, you name it. It's the greatest of the greats for, of all time. And um, yeah, again, another high quality La Liga game that would be that was really entertaining. It's just marvelous to watch. Yeah, the thing I'll remember about him, KJ, eventually in thirty one, hopefully he's got another four, five, six years left, is the productivity that this guy mm. provides. It's he's not running loads. <laughs> he's he's playing every game and he's picking his moments and something good happens from nearly every moment yeah, exactly. so the productivity and the, the conversion rate on, on, on him kind of going through the gears and, and, and dribbling and getting it in the last third or getting it in a position to score a goal is just off the charts and um, I, I recognised that a few years ago when I, I did some some um, uh, research into his numbers and I thought this guy must be running 2,000 uh, metres high intensity every single game so I right. looked into some of his physical stats and they were extremely low. Mm-hmm. That's the way he can play every single game. Because when he when he runs, he scores. Yeah. <laughs> when he runs, he creates a chance. And I just think that is extremely special to just recognise when he burst into gear and fifty hat tricks. It's it's ridiculous. It's I've played the game, I've scored a goal or two. Fifty hat tricks. I just it's hard for me to even get my head around that. You've, you play the same game as Messi. <laughs> no, I've never played Messi. No, but you played the same game uh, as him. No, well, hey, you seen me play? <laughs> I never played the same game as Messi. You play, hey, you played against Luka Modric. We oh, talked yeah. about this this oh, weekend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, put me in my bomb again as well. <laughs> we, Stevie found out, we discovered. But, yeah. So Burnley beat Tottenham for just the second time in 44 years. The last time they beat them was the final day of the season um, in 2010 when the Stephen Colwell played in a game they won 4-2. So, but you got relegated. Yeah, we got relegated and, and, and they were tired. I think they played the midweek, but they went 2-0 up. And um, I was reading the match reports. I, th- I saw that Burnley had beat them. I think I played in that game. 
And then I remembered I'd played in it. And I, so I was reading the match report. It was interesting. In the second goal, some guy called Luka Modric picks the ball <laughs> up. And uh, the, the hapless Stephen Caldwell <laughs> tried to stop him. And he was embarrassed a little bit or something like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. You I need to stop reading this. put that on your Twitter this. bio, the hapless yeah, Stephen Caldwell by yeah. Luka Modric. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I'm, I'm actually pleased that I played against Modric, even though he embarrassed <laughs> me. Go. <laughs> just got a text from Dunfield about, oh. Ke- about Kepa. Do you think he's six hours behind? Or? Oh, my. Is he just watching it now? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe just trying to generate some kind of conversation with us. It probably misses us. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Sean. Moving on. Uh, the round of 16 has been drawn for the Europa League. Uh, what match uh, tickles your fancy as a must-watch? Eintracht Frankfurt versus Inter Milan is a good one. Uh, I like that. And by the way, Inter Milan's a, a crazy decision at the end by their game. 3-3 by VAR again, talking about Serie A. Um, but that's a good one. And that nonsense rule with Chelsea and Arsenal not allowed to play on the same night, which is kind of ridiculous. But um, there's some, some tasty ones here. Yeah, Arsenal-Ren, I think, might be quite a good match, KJ. Peter Czech derby. Yeah, pretty yeah. exciting, that one. Ishmael Asar, he's he's one of our like guys him, we like yeah. him, don't we? And I think he's having a decent season again. Um Napoli Salzburg, I like that one as well. Mm. Salzburg were in Celtics group and they're a really good side. Obviously, they got pretty far in this competition last year. And, and I think Napoli got knocked out last year by Leipzig, didn't they? Did Talking they? About yeah. I think they did. I think they did. You're yeah. right. Yeah, we, we had that we did one, that didn't game. we? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, I like all of these. I'm, I'm picking everyone, Shawnee. But Zenit Villarreal. Did anybody see the, um, the sort of flair oh the Zenit honor, stuff all the way to the stadium yeah that for was Zenit oh my it was remarkable oh, fans just lining the road and lighting the flares so you know they clearly want to win that competition and very were, were pretty good in the last round as well so some interesting ties I love it when it gets to this stage because you know we start to get to the the really good teams it's going to get exciting major league soccer kicks off next week Give me your Shield winners, Cup winners, MVP, and Canadian Championship winners. Wow, I thought you wanted a short show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want names. I don't want reasons. All right, just okay, names. names. Then. All right. Um, Shield winner. Oh, boy. Um, I'll go with LAFC. Wow. Okay. I'll go with New York Red Bulls. Okay. Um, MLS Cup winner. I'll go with Sporting Kansas City. Atlanta United. <laughs> MVP, Pity Martinez. Oh. MVP, Vela. Nice. Canadian Championship winner. Oh, Montreal Impact. Vancouver Whitecaps. There we go. That's my choice. Beautiful. There you go. I um, could have gone with York 9 or Valor or somebody. <laughs> that would have been that'd be fun, no? Like, oh, be a hell of a story. Why not? Let's get that sorted out. Uh, moving on to the champion, CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, Atlanta dropped their uh, first leg 3-1 to Costa Rican side here at Diano. Uh, will Frank DeBoer's side uh, find a way to rescue the win? I think they will. Uh, I watched the whole game. It was remarkably open. It could have been 6-7-5, whatever, you name it. It was an unbelievable game. Uh, back and forth, tempo at a very high level. Great to watch. Um, I think De Boer's got some tactical decisions to make going forward. I think they're going to be electric to watch, but he basically let like Joseph Martinez, um, PT Martinez and Barco just do nothing defensively. And the other guys just got exploited. Plus you've got Gress, you had Gressel on one side and Bello, the young kid on the other back three were exploited. They made some mistakes. They weren't quite at the races, but they're going to be fun to watch. I'm just not sure. I mean, De Boer thinks this way, so I don't think you're going to change right away, but I'm not quite sure 3 4 3 is the best way to play. Yeah, we had a little debate about that on Saturday. We were yeah. chatting about it, and we know he likes to play 3 3 4 3, but 
maybe four three three, which is another uh, formation of, of Frank de Boer and, and this kind of Dutch method that um, that normally like. And I think that might be more suited to them, but we'll have to see. We we spoke about Gressel. I think he's a wonderful player, uh, but. He can play anywhere and play right wing back, which is he's playing in this formation. But I'd like to see him start to move into the centre of the park. Yeah, me too. Jeff Laurentovic, a, a fantastic player and being a great servant. But I think with Laurentovic and, and Romedi, they lack a little bit of legs in there. Romedi's terrific as well, he's but he's, great he's, he's not really box to box. Gressel no. gives you that box to box aspect um, as well. And if this game was at Mercedes Benz Stadium, I would say. Absolutely, they go through the fact that they're moving for monster trucks. And I know we mentioned that a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, by the way, we did get some feedback. From we that. did, and um, <laughs> everybody chose monster trucks to kick them out of the stadium than, than losing four 0 in the Champions yeah. League. So thanks for all your TFC wishing that monster trucks was coming to Toronto yeah. on Tuesday night. They'd, they'd rather be up one 0 and, and be kicked out and playing at uh, playing at Varsity or yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lampo, the crowd, the Lampo. crowd's probably going to be enough that Varsity would be, would be just a bit full. Yikes! Yeah. Uh, the, but maybe, the, yeah. So, you know, you could have had an example of the yeah. monster trucks coming in BMO Field, but that probably wouldn't be good for the pitch. <laughs> so, there's already issues with that over the last few years. Yeah, having... Hopefully, I'm looking forward to seeing that pitch. I know, the I know monster it's... trucks? <laughs> I <know. laughs> the the BMO. Yeah. I know it's late February, but hopefully that's been sorted because yeah, uh, that was a big issue last year. Well, to be fair, it affected mean, the football we watched from both sides on, on a regular basis. Bill Manning did give us a 17 minute sermon in a press conference about the soil <laughs> so yeah. um, recently about that. So, and he did, to be fair to Bill, admit afterwards that he maybe went on a bit long about the soil, <laughs> but he was very interested in explaining the differences between this year's pitch to last year's pitch. So you're right. Let's hope they figure that one out. But um, yeah, um, hopefully uh, Atlanta figured out too. But by the way, Pitti Martinez is a special player. Very, very good play. Moving on to the national team, uh, Steven Estequillo, uh, a 22-year-old defensive midfielder from Cruz Azul, uh, has chosen play for Canada. Um, what are your thoughts on more Cana- more Canadians choosing Canada? And then what do you see this uh, 11 being as another midfielder yeah, joins the national yeah. team? It's funny because they've got like so much depth in certain areas and then lack of it in maybe a couple of others. Like yeah. they've got so many people who can play out wide, particularly on the left. And then in midfield, they've got quite a lot of, of quality as well. Um, look, I'm certainly not going to sit here and complain about quality and depth no. in certain areas. This has been a team for so long that hasn't had that. So um, great again. I mean, John, this is the player that John Herbin obviously teased yeah. in, in his press conference a couple of weeks ago in Toronto. Just great to see other people choosing to play for Canada. And um you know, boy, you know, I think that when you think about Atiba and he's not going to be around much longer, no. then I think it's I'd like to get him in there under the tutelage of John Herman with Atiba there to still help him out. Yeah, hopefully Atiba stays longer, but he was saying that he might be done after the Gold Cup, which mm. I think would be a disappointment because I still think Atiba has a lot of football, but Stacchio choosing Canada as a... Another coup for John Herdman. It's a, a nice addition to an area that, that's quite exciting. Atiba's been wonderful, probably the best Canadian player of all time. We've said that in the mm-hmm. past. And, you know, young Liam Fraser, although he's not getting enough minutes at TFC, is showing some promising signs in that area. Azorio's more attacking, but Ostaku has got... I've not seen him play a ton, KJ, but he's got some good history. And for him just to choose Canada... Tells you what kind of excitement's happening with this team at the moment. John Herman's got something going and everyone realises that heading into hopefully a legitimate chance of qualifying for 2022 and of course a home World Cup is extremely exciting. So competition for places is always a good thing and we're starting to get that with guys kind of around about the same age, mm. you know. So we're going to get 
this group of players hopefully getting a real togetherness and 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 team type mentality to take them through the next five to eight years good stuff thanks Johnny. thanks for headlines and again everybody that was involved in headlines appreciate that and i think we could have had like 15 more this week it was absolutely crazy the amount of stories we we, we could have talked about um okay final part of the show ask hashtag afp a reminder you can always get on your social media circles and remind you that you can always be part of the show we had so many questions this week but we'll go over to sean again for that part of the show Shawnee. thanks kj uh, James asks, taking into consideration their form, remaining schedule, and relative position in the Premier League standings, which team should throw all the chips in to winning the Europa League for automatic Champions League entry? Arsenal or Chelsea or both? Hmm. Probably Arsenal, although it does, I don't mean that in a terms of a reflection that the other team's better and the more chances of winning the Champions League. I just think that Arsenal have... Um, probably got a better chance yeah. to, to win it at the moment. Chelsea, we've covered them early in the show. They're a bit of a shambles at the moment, and I'm not sure that they really have... Um, I think Arsenal have a bit more depth to, to their squad, so they can do that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so I think that I'll probably take them. But I do think, as we've seen with, with the past Europa Leagues, that it is something that they know that they can take very seriously here. That's what Mourinho and United did to get their pathway to the, to the Premier League. Yeah, I, I think so they both. The Champions League. Yeah, I think they both have to do it, KG. I think that this is the, the best opportunity for them both to get Champions League entry. Um, I'm with you. I think Arsenal are better equipped to, to potentially do that. But we've seen in previous years, this is not an easy competition to win. Mm. We, we sort of cruise through a group and last 32 even last 16 then you start to hit the quarterfinals and there's some tasty teams left we just went through a few of them there and a lot of quality so it's not going to be easy but I, I would say Arsenal are in the best position just through um, the, the type of players and the quality players that they have Speaking of Arsenal resident uh Sky is falling, uh, and friend of the pod, Devang, <laughs> asks, will Unai Emery be the Arsenal manager next season? Ridiculous question that has to be said. <laughs> Devang. Come on, Devang. Like, who, who do you want to be manager? Oh, I know. Arsene Wenger. That's who you want to be in charge of Arsenal next season, and don't even deny it. Um, of course he's going to be the manager next season. Like, Awful question. What do you want? Like, Do you want like more like... More turmoil. Upheaval? With, well, the, the club is kind of in a strange place. Yeah, place that right now, don't you think? They're just kind of like chugging along and like non and, and like living in non-controversial land for a little bit where everyone's just kind of like on this honeymoon. Forgotten about them all. Yeah, yeah. But that might be a bit of a an indictment I on know, them, really. That's what I mean. Do you know what I mean? Like even yeah. like even like the 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 Urzel stuff's kind of gone away. Nobody cares Nobody really, cares. unless you're a big Arsenal fan. They had a horrendous the first is. fifteen minutes against Southampton where they could have been two 0 down and right. the end they won comfortably. Yeah. But yeah, like it. The, there's a general malaise about the club, really. Yeah. It's just become like, oh, okay, well, we'll see where we finish, and you know, but maybe that's what Emery needs. He just needs a bit more calmness because usually with Arsenal, you're you're living in choppy waters. Yeah, I think we both agree that Emery's the guy to take them forward, and it's been stop start this season. It was very promising at the beginning, and then. They went off the rails a bit, and you're right, KJ. It just went kind of quiet at the moment. I think they're they're happy with that. They don't really want too much uh, attention. And Arsene Wenger, because he's he's one of the greatest managers of his generation, just brought that attention all the time. Yeah, when he was the elite manager, and they were the elite teams of the the early two thousands, late nineties. Of course, it was there, and then it was 
is Arson going to bring back the glory days? And then it was when's Arson going to leave? So there was just drama, drama, drama all the time. Mistakes were made in many different areas. And now Emery's in. There's still that little bit of turmoil when it comes to player recruitment. And Emery's won some some little battles, we think, recently. So stick with the guy. Give him some time. I think he's the right man. I think he's going to come up with a nice style once he gets the right pieces and hopefully we're going to see a, a challenging Arsenal in the Premier League soon. They've got too many weeds in the garden, don't they? Yeah. You've got to get rid of these guys. So There's yeah. just not enough good players. And if you want to contend in the Premier League, you got to get rid of them. So, um, and by the way, one of them is on 350 grand a week. So good luck. Matthew says uh, he wasn't concerned about Alfonso Davies' minutes until this week when Kovac had to uh, console Renato Sanchez for the lack of playing time, citing a title race. Given Ribery's health and Robin training, should he be concerned? Um, I always treat this as being, I always felt like it was a bonus if he got minutes this season. I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, although I do, as I say that, feel like I might contradict myself in terms of, I did say at one point that them, because they were struggling, it would have presented him with more opportunities, but they are in a title race. Yeah. They are in a title race. Dortmund have kind of had a bit of a shaky time over the last few weeks and th- that might hinder him. Kova, uh, sorry, um, Coleman is injured again, so that might help him a little bit. Yeah. Um, but look, I, I would never have expected Alfonso Davies to start a Bundesliga match yet. And, um, I think for me, if he starts one in the next few weeks, that might help him, but ultimately it's not, it doesn't surprise me. And I think he's, I think he'll be getting minutes anyway, going forward. Yeah. Once you, you join a club of the might and stature of Bayern Munich, what you have to start doing is focusing on yourself, KJ. Mm. You, you can't afford to look at Ribéry and Robin and Coman and Gnabry and, Muller, <laughs> we could go on and on. Yeah. There's so many of them. Once you start getting, you know, bogged down on who's ahead of you, who's there, you've got to just keep getting better. This lad, the the potential means that his ceiling is so high, he's got so much improvement to do that he just needs to keep focusing on doing that every single day in training, doing his job properly, getting ready to compete. In training first and foremost, keeping to uh, you know getting on benches and then trying to get himself in the team. So we we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. I just would like to think that the guy's just not getting too anxious or stressed about the fact that he's maybe not getting minutes in the recent games. He's on the bench. He's training with one of the best teams in the world, and he's hopefully getting better. Yeah, and he played nine minutes in the reserve game, yeah. and then obviously he's been he's still in the Champions League squad. And that's as well. the key, though, so, KJ. So know. reserve games are important yeah. for a guy like him. We need to remember he's went back in a sense that first team football is going to be a tall ask at this moment. He's eighteen years old. Do your work in the reserve team games. Mm. Make sure you're the best player in the park there, you know. So he's got to have small little goals. Make sure he's just ticking them off. He's getting better. He's improving. And hopefully gets to the point where someone, Kovac or whoever comes next, saying, you're the man. You're going to be a regular. We're going to start putting you in the side. That will mean he is one of Europe's elite wingers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's playing against players in the reserve leagues that are better than he was playing last year in MLS. So in some, in yes. some regards, no question about that, so. Ian asks, Stephen, what were you feeling when your brother Gary scored a 1-0 winning goal versus France? <laughs> what was I feeling? Get in there. I was at Hamden. I like Coldwell Corner. Can we make it a regular thing? <laughs> I was at Hamden and I jumped about five feet in the air when he scored that goal. And it was an unbelievable night. We played them at maybe about 
6pm, 5pm, if memory serves me right, and we went to the game and uh, Gary scored, um, and then it was backs against the wall. And when I say part the bus, backs <laughs> against the wall, you'll never believe what this was like, KJ. Craig Gordon was in goals, he made a couple of great saves, defending basically on our six-yard box, and we come away with a 1-0 victory. And we were just so elated. We, we beat one of the best sides ever mm. in the world yep, certainly the, one of the best French sides everyone was playing Henri and Vieira and everyone stacked team and uh, and we went back to, to Stirling we were in Glasgow we drove back through to Stirling Gary wasn't with us I think they had another game but it was me and my mate my mum my dad and a few of us and we could not buy a drink <laughs> so you can imagine, imagine yeah. what kind of night we had yeah, it was course, unbelievable yeah. I've never I've said this to you in the past. You didn't go thirsty, did you? No, I've said this to you in the past, Christian, but it's one thing playing for a club, it's another thing playing for your country. And right. when your part, your brother scores the only goal and your country's biggest win, yeah, everyone wants to talk to you. Everyone knows, everyone remembers that day and uh, it was a brilliant day. I mean, I wish it was me that scored the goal, but I was I was uh, happy well, that it was yeah. my brother. If it's not you, it's going exactly. to be him, right? The highs and lows of football though. So yeah. the next question is, Christian asks, what were you thinking on Saturday when your brother's team Partick <laughs> Thistle gave away two goal lead and lost 4-2? Oh, I was thinking, what is going on? We were so happy at half time. We thought we were, we were going to get it done. Yeah. And then they just capitulated in the second half and, and this is the thing, you know, that he f calls me up for the car when he's driving back to, to his home in Manchester and he's just ranting and ranting, you know, pulling his hair out. And who would be a manager? You know, right. we've mentioned Sari here. We've talked about you and I, Emery, losing his job. Claude Puel's just lost his job. Yep. We're debating all these things and we're going through it, uh, you know, obviously it's our job to kind of analyse and, and give our opinions on it. But it's... It's life to these guys. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter if you manage Partick Thistle or Chelsea. It's your life. He lives this every single day and he works hard or as hard as anybody else in the game to try and make Partick Thistle successful. And so... 2-0 uh, up after like half an hour. 2-0 yeah, up. Could yeah. have been five. Right. You know, Playing, playing against... Playing against Ross County, top, top of the league, league yeah. and just dominating them. And then come out in the second half, lose a goal in the 47th minute and then just freeze and panic and get deeper and get anxious and get nervous. And you're a manager and you're, you're standing at the side and you're just watching this happen. It's like watching a car crash. You know, mm. you just, you can't really do anything about it because 11 players are in control. And of course you set them up and you put them out there and you make substitutions, but there's only so much you can do. And that's why this life is, is so demanding. It's so difficult and it's it's so consuming on everybody's time, not just uh, the individual who's in charge of that club, but every member of his family, his kids, his wife, his girlfriend, his dog, his sister. It doesn't matter who it is. Who you're is, all yeah. part of it, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, anybody that stands at that side and, and we, we sit here and we're critical and we're on these mics and it's our job to be and it's our opinion, but... It's harder than it looks and it's a lonely place and let's respect that about these guys because they put it in and, and they work extremely hard trying to be successful. RS119 has concerns about Bono's inconsistent play seemingly following him into 2019. Does TFC look to find another keeper? Well, they need to find another goalkeeper. Um, they need to give this guy competition for places. And I think we covered that, didn't we, last week a little bit in terms of the, the competition for places. Um, but... In terms of Alex's inconsistent play, I, I do feel that 
although it is a necessary conversation to have, I think it's a little bit overblown in terms of everybody kind of pointing towards him in terms of being the reason for their failures. And I think I might be wrong here, but I get the feeling that's a little bit like the hockey mentality with yeah. the goal, with the goaltender a little bit. I always found that a lot of evaluations of hockey teams were, okay, well, they're great because they've got a good goalie and oh, they lost because they've got a bad goalie. And that's very different in this sport. Yeah. And, and that might be a bit of a generalization and I apologize if it is. But the one thing I would say about Alex Bono is that I think that he is, first of all, he's an extremely bright guy and he, and he is very, very critical upon himself. But I also think he's got that good bl- good blend of balance between self-evaluation, but uh, but understanding that he needs to to to, to forget mistakes. And that ha- that's a big part of what he needs to do to improve and but learn from them. But And I spoke to him a lot, a lot about that. But the next thing I'm going to say is people might think is critical of, of Alex, but I don't think it is. I think there's not a great deal of difference between what I would call his ceiling and his floor. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I just think that he is he is what he is. He's been evaluated by Toronto FC. They believe he's a stable goalkeeper. They've paid him well and that's it. And so when you've got that kind of goalkeeper, you're sometimes going to have very good games and sometimes you're going to have disappointing games. But I don't, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether there's some people out there who think that maybe he should be better than he actually can be. And maybe some people are being a little bit harsher on him because the expectations are a little bit too high. Yeah. That's, how my, that's how I feel. Yeah, all great points and, and, and very valid. And I think that um, we both know Alex pretty well. He was a teammate of mine for a little while at the end of my career. And he, he's a brilliant professional. He's a guy that works extremely hard and... He's, he's a very level-headed guy. He's an easy guy to like. He's an easy guy to root for because he just goes about his business and does the right thing and, and acts like such a pro. And I always love players like that. I told him he's going to take my job when he's done, by the way. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah. And you could see that. You can see him sitting in front of the uh, the camera at some point. But what I will say about him is, and, and I've s- I said before, this is his most important season mm. in professional football because... I see attention to his play and um, I spoke to a few ex-goalkeepers that I really respect within the game and they told me or they said something to me that made me really sit up and and listen and and take note, KG. He's anxious in the way that he's kind of setting himself and he's getting chipped a lot or the ball's going over his head because he's setting himself too wide and he's really tense. He's trying to get set to make the save instead of being a little bit fluid and a little bit more like the Alex Bono we've seen in, mm. in the early years of his, you know, he's, he's kind of playing every week for TFC. And I thought it's a great point. You know, he, he just seems to be double guessing himself in a lot of instances. And so that's why I think this is his most important season because it's a lonely place out in that field, even though it's a team of 11 players and it's even more lonely for the goalkeeper. And so he's got all these questions swirling around his head and he knows he's not playing his best he's got to find someone in his mentality and his psyche from somewhere that just grinds through that that just finds a way to be loose at the right times finds a way to make some big decisions and to rather than getting rooted and being being kind of caught in no man's land a little bit like one of the goals the other day be positive just keep asking yourself be positive come for things make positive decisions because I think if he gets back to that he settles down a little bit he he loses a touch of anxiety and he's a touch more positive I think we'll see the Alex Bono Mm -hmm. of of 2016 2017 and I think that once we start to see that guy come I do think that he can be a very consistent goalkeeper in MLS and I think he can be TFC's goalkeeper for a long time 
He needs competition, but it needs to be put to him in the right way. I think it needs to be a solid number two who can push him and help him. Help him is a big thing here as well. But I don't think it can be someone that comes in and we've saw Greg Vanny chop and change with goalkeepers in the past. That would be disastrous for Alex Bono right now. I think it needs to be a good number two, respecting the league, that comes in to help him, push him along, let him know that you know there's someone behind him, but not someone that's going to come and chop and change with Alex Bono. I think it's a great point you make because I think that when that chop and change happened last year, you and I, and I think we would have told Greg Vanny yeah. to his face if he'd asked us, but we we completely, completely didn't disagree with it. Yeah, completely, because Alex Bono, and I didn't play, he didn't play in the 2016 MLS playoffs, but the 2000 when you've done something that much, you you got to give a guy a benefit of the doubt. Yeah, you've got to allow him to realize that if he makes a high profile mistake, that he's okay. You got you've got his back here. You know, the guy wasn't necessarily he didn't have a disastrous season. I was behind the goal in Mexico when he pulled off one of the greatest saves he's made in his yes. career. It was a magnificent save. I bounced off the off, off, off the wet in, in the Azteca. Yeah. Bounced off the wet surface. A tremendous save. So that he's done that in 2018. So if you're going to do things like that for you, I think he's got to understand to your point that yeah, you go out there, you're in the net next week. You're yeah. in the net. You're in the net next yeah. week. And it, we're, we're, if we're all told, well, guy, you're not, we're not sure about your job going forward. We're all going to handle it differently, no matter what job it is. We don't know if we can give you the security. We're not sure whether you're going to be here next year or ne- next week. We're all going to be anxious about yeah. it. That needs to go. Get rid of the anxiety. Um, but I do think he does need help. But I think he needs confidence, and that need, that comes from leadership. He needs more confidence. You're right. He, he's having a sticky spell, and he needs to to lean on his his leaders, and uh, and that obviously comes from the manager. He needs him to basically give him his his vote of confidence. He doesn't have to do that publicly, but he should be doing that privately. Mm-hmm. Maybe he is. Maybe, he Maybe is, Greg yeah. Vanny is. We don't know. But um, I, I I never love these big public you know shows of affection because at the end of the day. Publicly, you've you, you've got to keep you know your your cards close to your chest. But privately, I'd certainly be telling Alex, look, you're our number one. We know what you're going to get back to. We know you're having a tough time. We're here to help, and we're here to help you you find that form. And um, it's one game of 2019, mm-hmm. and I, I'd say he's at fault for potentially two of the goals. You know, at fault, not totally his fault. So. Let's just not get carried away. And, and if I'm Alex, I'm just saying, just relax. I know what I'm capable of. I know that I'm good. Loosen up a little bit mm. and be positive. That's the two things that I'm going to say. I am. I don't know. Players don't know a lot about goalkeepers. No. I have to say that. But he's also sorry, so. But he's also playing like somebody who expects to receive more goal scoring chances per maybe twice more than he did the yeah. year prior. And he's yeah. also thinking that almost every time I've got to make a save here because it could be the difference making the game and that's different to the 2018 mindset, 2017 mindset yeah and he's he's unsure about who's going to be in front of him there have been so many different partnerships in front of him mm-hmm. and I think that I don't think he's ever going to be a goalkeeper that really will excel with a back four or a two two or three central defenders who play pretty high I don't think that suits him so I, I think maybe the line of the team maybe affects him a little bit as well maybe that's something that, that they'll look at to try and change because I do think they're playing extremely high he, Not, he did tell me when I did an interview with him a week ago that they've, they've worked a lot on his possession game this in the this off season yeah so. but and, and he's got better at his possession but he's never going to be 
a no. brilliant possession goalkeeper. No, that, that was my point initially with the ceiling. At, at the end of the day, he's got strengths, and I think you got to play to them. He's not going to be. He's not going to be Zach Stefan's distribu- no. distribution. It's not. He's not coming. But get back to your strengths. You know, like they're working so much on his distribution and how he's going to play it for the back, and he's only going to get so much better. But he's lost the things that he was really good at. Mm. So get back to the things that he's really good at, and that's what I would be doing if I was Toronto FC and if I was speaking to Alex. I would just say, just be confident and just relax a little bit get back to the form we know you can get and we're, we're all rooting for him he's a great guy he works yes. extremely hard and he's doing the right things to try and get back to that form and we, we think he'll get there last question and once again thank you so much for everyone to sending in their questions Isaac asks is Kalidou Koulibaly the ideal center back for United to target in this offseason um, yeah I'd have no problem with that I think he'd be brilliant for United and I think they need one yeah know, without question they need somebody with presence somebody who can make a lot more um players around him better and they need a leader and some and Lindelof's the best that they've got right now and I think he's better off as a number two yeah um so look yeah it's going to cost you a lot of money because there's a lot of teams out there who need genuine top quality center backs um but yeah he'd be tremendous signing for them yeah he'd be outstanding he's he's one of the the best guys if not the best out there that's available mm. now he's going to cost a hundred million at least probably because yep. the, everybody's going to want him and uh Lindelof was terrific again today we didn't mention him earlier and I think I'm right I'm with you KJ you're right in saying he's a second centre half so a cooler Bali or something like that I also think Aldo Vareld where they can get him from Tottenham would, mm. would be very very good sorry Sean maybe a cheaper option sorry Sean and <laughs> Manchester United are going to get your manager at your centre half and probably um, Harry Winks Kane. as well Kane yeah <laughs> Anyway, but Koulibaly's terrific. Uh, Aldevrail's a little bit different, but maybe Aldevrail's a cheaper option. But if you can go and get Koulibaly, he wants to go to United, go and pay it. We, we said that in the past, KJ, with Van Dyke. Yeah. That, do we even think about the number anymore? You never the do best. if they're good. Just get the best, you know. And if he's the best, you can get him. Go and pay £100 million. And talking about the best, by the way, it was 13 months ago that Man United spent, uh, Man City spent £59 million on Emery Laporte and they just extended him again to 2025. Wow. So within 13 months, they went, we already had a contract with you until 2023. We're going to give you more to 2025. So talking about no one ever speaks about Laporte for £59 million either because he's worth twice that, isn't he? Yeah, at least. brilliant player. All right, that's the end of the show. We didn't go too long. Hopefully, we can get to our staff members to go watch the um, the Academy Awards. Are you going to watch Academy Awards? I'm going to watch it, yeah. I'm not Lady interested. Gaga. I'm not interested. Oh, like- Star is Born. I love that movie. Oh, did you? What do you think, Clay? You like that movie? Nod. No, oh, Clay didn't like it. I loved it. Didn't, Brilliant movie. Didn't watch it. Bradley sorry. Cooper was amazing. Was he? Oh, yeah. We can keep going here if you want I'd to like keep to, talking about movies. Start but... a, uh, Oscars podcast. There you go. We, we we did give the awards for uh, our predictions for MLS, so we, we could have had an award show tonight. I guys. would have loved that. I love awards. I'm like Clay. Yeah, we yeah. could have made our own awards. Maybe we'll do that towards the end of the season. You know, we'll have our own Academy Awards here. Yeah. our football pod <laughs> awards show. Um, but we've been talking way too long. So if you're still with us, you're amazing. Um, <laughs> next time we are in the studio, uh, Major League Soccer will be underway. By the way talking about awards this is an award-winning saturday next week you've got the north london derby we've got man u and man city playing at 10 a.m on saturday how often does that happen we have that on tsn followed by toronto fc kicking off against philadelphia union followed by el Clasico. 
Then the white caps are playing. Uh, we're gonna have all that covered next oh, week. We're gonna be can't there. Wait. We're gonna be there for so you. So many games. A marathon of games on next next week. So we'll have that next uh, for you next week. And a reminder: on Thursday night, as we said off the top of the show, we're gonna be doing our live foot show. So if you're in the Tonto area, tickets are still available for our live show on Thursday, February the 28th at the Rivoli. Head to afootballpodcast.com to buy tickets. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you then. Thank you. Thank you.